verse 6. It says, And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold. The word behold is an old-fashioned word that simply means listen. Everybody with me there? Behold. She says, Listen. She got to her son and said, Listen, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat, that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord the, uh, before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. And then uh, if you look in chapter number 27, verse number 42, it says, And these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob her younger son, and said unto him, Behold thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, and arise, flee thou to Laban my brother, to Haran, and tarry with him a few days, until thy brother's fury turn away. And, uh, uh, and then we know that as we read the rest of the story, that in both cases, Jacob listened to his mother. And then in Galatians chapter 4 and uh, verse number 26, starting with verse 25, actually, it says, for this Agar, which is the Old Testament character, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. And this passage of Scripture is an allegory where they are comparing, the Apostle Paul is comparing those that were under the law to the child of Hagar, which was Ishmael, and comparing it to those that are under grace, which is the church, those of us that are New Testament believers, as the uh, uh, children that were born the seed of promise, the, the child of promise born to Sarah. And then it says, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free. Now I want to read this in a different translation because I know it may be a little confusing. It says, now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai, which is where the law was given, in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem, the physical city of Jerusalem, which is the central point of uh, the Hebrew belief system or the Jewish Old Testament belief system. And then he says, uh, let me read it again. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above, everybody say the heavenly Jerusalem. The Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. The physical Jerusalem represents the Old Testament law of Mount Sinai, and the children of the Old Testament law are in bondage. But the children of the New Testament, New Jerusalem, are the children of Sarah, in essence. They are the children of promise. They are the children of freedom. And then the point that's very interesting, he says this new Jerusalem is the mother of us all. This new Jerusalem, this new gospel is the mother of us all. Jesus, I pray, Lord God, help us to hear and understand your word today. Let us be encouraged thereby, Lord Jesus, and let us, Lord God, walk according to the law and the precepts that you've set before us, Lord Jesus, and live in victory, we pray. In the name of the Lord, and everybody said, Amen. 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 Mother's Day is a special time, and I'm so thankful that um, those who were responsible years ago for setting aside a day during the year, particularly on a Sunday, to uh, commemorate and remember the beautiful gift God has given to us called a mother. And uh, all of us had a mother. Many of you, your mother is still alive. Some of you, your mother has passed on. And, uh, but there are, for all of us, memories, many of them precious of times with our mother and the beautiful experience of having a mother. And my wife said today she thought it would make more sense for Mother's Day to be on a Saturday. 
because on Sunday mom has to get up and get all the kids ready for church and and uh, it's not really a leisurely day to commemorate Mother's Day but I'm glad they did it on a Sunday for the reason that we can gather together think about and celebrate the beauty of motherhood and uh, my mind when I begin to prepare a sermon and think about Mother's Day goes back obviously to my own mother uh, the one who gave birth to me and the one who raised me with a firm hand according to the values and principles that uh, she believed and still believes very strongly and uh, when I think of AJ and my mother I think of a woman who is a strong woman who is committed to the success and the protection of her children you can mess with a lot of things but you don't mess with her kids because that is a gift that God has given to her and a responsibility for her to care for and uh, as I think of my own mother I remember uh, self-sacrifice I remember times when we would be in a hotel room and there were five of us in the family and only four pillows in the hotel room guess who slept without a pillow uh, no, not me. It was always my mother who said, no, you use the pillow. No, Mom, you, no, you use the pillow. And uh, someone said uh, that the definition of a mother is the one who, when there is only four pieces of cake and five people, she says, I didn't really want cake anyway. And she sacrifices. And we, we uh, can all relate to the idea of a mother who uh, sacrifices to make sure that our life is better. I think of the nurture of my mother always being concerned about me and always desiring to see me progress emotionally, educationally, physically, and so forth. Another thing about a mother that's so special is the idea of a lifetime commitment. You don't serve as a mother just for a temporary time. It's not a six-month or even a six-year commitment. It's a lifetime commitment and there's something about a mother that most people would shy away from that kind of a commitment but in the heart of a mother is a desire to enter into that kind of a commitment also closer to home when i think about motherhood i think about my wife who serves as a wonderful mother to three beautiful little girls and i observe and watch her balance or juggle if you would being a fantastic mother, being a wonderful wife, being a pastor's wife, and commit her life to ministry. I said the other day to someone, actually to my father-in-law, and maybe it gave me some brownie points, but I really meant it. I said, I can't imagine trying to do ministry and trying to serve God in a capacity that I am if my wife wasn't on the team with me. It would literally be impossible for me because her support is not just physical but she also supports emotionally and mentally and as an amazing amazing wife and a wonderful mother all I can say is wow how does she do it it's really amazing to me and let me just say this uh, you know the, the things that she does just blow me away for instance when the baby starts crying at night for some reason it it doesn't really make me do anything it just I'll let her cry if she wants. I, as long as I can sleep, it's cool. But for some reason, she's the one that always gets up and takes care of the baby in the middle of the night. And, and some of you, brethren, know what I'm talking about. It's like, wow, how does she do that? It's like I, when I'm in the middle of a sleep, it would take an earthquake to get me up. But uh, I'm so thankful for her commitment. But I want to say this. Uh, if uh, the, the young ladies in our church... Um, if you're looking for a hero, if you're looking for someone to look up to, um, obviously many of you have wonderful mothers, but I want you to want to say look no further because uh, Sister Brown, as a pastor's wife, is someone who operates with class, with grace. She lives a life of modesty. She has proper priorities, a commitment to family, and a, a commitment to uh, her church. So my, my point is I'm trying to make is why would you want to look up to and dress like and act like someone like Beyonce or Britney Spears or Selena Gomez or Hannah Montana? When you have godly examples of people with proper commitments that live their life with the right priorities, you need to get the right heroes. 
in your life, as Brother, uh, Brother Diaz was talking about last week. So, and, and so who is it that you're emulating? Who is it that you're trying to be like? Get the right kinds of heroes. Now, one thing about, back to my mother, that I remember so clearly about my mother, and those of you that know my mom very well can relate to this, is that when I was a child, she made sure that we boys, the three of us boys, would listen to her. She made sure that we would not ignore her voice, that we would not disregard her statements. And, of course, my father came alongside and ensured that I would embrace this value as well, that I would listen to my mother. When I, I, I've seen before and observed uh, little kids and toddlers as they would go running off, and I've seen before kids running out toward the street, and their mother's like, Stop! 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 Billy! Stop! Billy! Ah! Billy! Stop! See, that didn't happen in my home. Because when my mom said, Stop! We stopped. Can anybody relate to that? You know what I'm talking about. We stopped. When she said, Rich, even to this day, the sound of her voice saying my name can send shivers down my spine. Because when she spoke, she made sure we listened. She had a forceful personality, still does. But uh, she wanted to make sure. And we, we uh, asked her one time, or she was saying something about it. She said, my dad taught me that. She said, when you tell a child to stop and they don't stop, you correct them immediately. You don't wait till you say it the third time and then they stop. And he said, the reason I got that is because I saw a little kid running out into the street. And the mother was saying, stop, 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 stop. And the kid kept running. And I decided, my grandfather decided, when I say stop, my kids are going to stop. And my mom uh, had that same value as well. And so as children, whenever she spoke, we listened. And if we did not listen to her, it was going to be big problems. Now, when you look into the Word of God in the Ten Commandments, it says, honor your father and your mother. And then this commandment has promise connected to it as well, that your days may be long upon the earth. And then in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8, the first of the Proverbs of wisdom, it says, My son, hear the instructions of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Forsake not the law of thy mother. And then in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, it says, A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Also in Proverbs 15 and 20, uh, uh, it says again the same thing, basically. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despiseth his mother. A foolish man despiseth his mother. I think it's very interesting here uh, that in both of these passages, it, it uh, says uh, the positive, a wise son maketh a glad father. It focuses on what the positive does in relationship to a father, but it takes the negative and says a foolish son is the heaviness of the mother. The mother carries the weight. A foolish man is one that despiseth his mother. The point, I think, of these passages is that you are foolish if you refuse to listen to your mother. Now, all of these passages of Scripture just seem totally normal. Hey, yeah, that's cool. That's what the Bible says. That's very obvious. should go without saying. But what you have to remember is that the Bible was written in an ancient male-dominated culture. An ancient culture where, sad to say, during the olden days, women were not given respect. During the Bible times and archaic ancient times, women were seen and treated as property. This is just the way it was. They weren't seen as having equal rights or as deserving respect. But right in the middle of this ancient male-dominated, male-chauvinistic culture, the Bible, the Word of God that was written back then, places priority on respecting and honoring and submitting to our mothers. Isn't that interesting? Right in the middle, uh, and, and I don't know if you get the point or not, 
But when people were brought up and trained that women were second-class citizens, pieces of property, the Word of God stands in stark contrast and says, whether you're a boy or a girl, you honor and respect your mother. Many times the Word of God says that if you dishonor or disrespect your father or your mother, that you're going to have problems and punishment in your life. In essence, the Word of God is saying, hey, check it out. Listen to your mother. Can I get an amen? Now, there's something about mothers that are different than the voice of the father. And I think it's so beautiful that God has created females in such a way that uh, not only do they have an innate built-in ability to nurture and to seek the best for the child, but also they have been given what some would refer to as that female intuition to pick up on nuances and subtleties and to have a certain measure of sensitivity of things that men would miss. You understand what I'm saying? If you have a wife, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't recognize that. See, you ignore the voice of your wife or your mother at your own peril because there is a sensitivity and there is an intuition about your best well-being that they have sensitivity to. Now, to illustrate my point today about listening to our mother, I want to use the story of a pair of twins, two boys that were born from the same mother on the same day with the same father, obviously. This pair of twins I want to use to illustrate that we read about in Scripture, this principle of listening to their mother. These two boys that we read about in Genesis 25 through 28 and so on, have, they share the same birthday, they share the same mother, and they share the same father. But beyond that, they have very little in common. Very little in common. Because in the story of these two boys, when they were born, they came out of the womb looking different. They were not identical twins. One of them came out of the womb. He was red and hairy. So his mother called him Esau which comes from the word Edom, which means red. The other one was smooth. He came out right after his twin. He didn't have any hair. He was smooth, and obviously he wasn't red or ruddy. And so he was named Jacob. These twin brothers, the Bible lets us know, were prototypes of two completely different types of human beings. There were some differences that were obvious and visible. Their appearance, red and hairy, light-complected and smooth. Esau was an outdoorsman. He loved to be out hunting. He loved seeking prey. He always smelled like the great outdoors. Jacob was one who liked to stay around the house. He liked to stay in the tents. And he had an affinity for preparing food and cooking. As you look a little deeper, though, you find that there are differences in their makeup and character. Esau, the brother that liked the fields, the red hairy one, also had a tendency towards obeying his fleshly whims for instant gratification. He could not resist. He had a hard time looking beyond today and right now. He wasn't able to resist urges in order to obtain some kind of a future goal. And on the other hand, Jacob, his twin brother, was the exact opposite. He was not led around by his fleshly desires. Rather, he was willing to sacrifice instant gratification for a greater goal that was in the future. Now, we could go on and on about the differences between these two boys. But for our purposes today, I want to focus on one difference that you may never have thought about before. And that is, Esau had a tendency to ignore his mother. Esau, as we look at the subtext of Scripture, we realize that he had little regard for his mother's words or opinions. 
He was a man's man. He was a daddy's boy. And in the back of my mind, I get this sense that Esau had a little bit of disrespect for women in general. Jacob, on the other hand, was one who was loved by his mother and listened carefully to his mother and submitted to the voice of his mother. Now, there's a lot of reasons for the differences, but I want to share with you today that Esau is a forgotten figure on the landscape of time. We don't know where his children are. We don't know where his descendants are. It's an interesting story or a narrative to read in Scripture. On the other hand, the other brother, thousands of years later, there is a nation full of people that are named after this man named Israel who forced his way or pushed his way in a sense, into the destiny of God for him. Wrestled with an angel, said, I won't let you go until you bless me. And the Bible says, in fact, there was something about their characteristics uh, that God said, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. And as you look a little deeper, you recognize that uh, Jacob had a passion for things that were eternal and Esau loved things that were temporal or temporary. There was no passion for things that would go beyond today. No passion for things that would extend beyond him in terms of legacy. He was willing to sell his birthright. He lost his blessing at the hand of his brother. But the whole time, Jacob was the one who had his eye on the bigger prize, on the future goal, on things that had eternal value and spiritual significance as he matured as an individual. But interestingly enough, one listened to his mother and the other one didn't listen to his mother. Let's talk about mom for a little bit here. Her name was Rebecca. Rebecca was quite a lady. She was a strong personality. Now her husband Isaac, as I read scripture, doesn't seem like a very strong personality. He seems like a passive individual. You say, what makes you think that, Pastor? Well, if you look at the story of, of Isaac... He's one who allowed his wife to be chosen for him. See what I'm saying? Dad said, I'm going to send somebody to go get you a wife. He's like, that's cool. Well, the guy did a good job for him because he brought back Rebecca. But, uh, and then you look at other things in his life. Uh, when uh, uh, the uh, uh, men that he strove with, his, his herdsmen were striving with over these wells that they had dug. Isaac, rather than fighting for the well, said, I'll just move on and dig another one somewhere else. He was not an aggressive, passive, confrontational. Uh, he was not an aggressive, confrontational individual. He was more given to be passive and let someone else's will be done. Now, Rebecca, on the other hand, was a different type of personality. She's the one that when the man shows up, the servant shows up from the house of Abraham... She says, hey, I'll get you some water, and I'll draw for your camels, too. She's just an aggressive person. And then the, the, her dad leaves it up to her. Are you going to go with this man or not? Are you going to leave me and possibly never see me again, or your mother, or your sisters? She's like, I'm up for it. I'll go with this man. Then when she sees him, the Bible says she lit off her camel and ran to where her husband-to-be was waiting. And that didn't mean she started a cigarette. That means she jumped off of her camel to where her husband was. She was an outspoken person. She was an aggressive person. She was one who took initiative. And as you look at this story, you begin to discover that Jacob has a tendency to listen to and heed his mother. Now, one of the areas where you can see this illustrated as you look at the subtext of Scripture has to do with their choices of wives when it came time to get married. The Bible says, let me read this for you in, uh, uh, in the book of Genesis, chapter number 26, verse 34. It says, And Esau was 40 years old, when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Bashamath, the daughter of Elon 
the Hittite. Look at verse 35. It says, Which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. It says when Esau married these two ladies, they were Hittite women. And understand that God had called Abraham into Canaan's land. But he was there living in an area of, of very pagan individuals. And some, one of those pagan groups were the Hittites. And Isaac marries two of these Hittite women. And the Bible says that his choice of spouse was a grief of mind to his mother and to his father. You say, well, it made them both upset. But let's think back about their personalities. Which one of them do you think was most likely to say something about it? Yeah, Rebecca. Well, because she was the mother and she was the vocal one. She was the assertive one. Because look at what happens after all the story of the birthright being exchanged and, and Jacob decides to leave. Look at what happens here in uh, chapter number 28, verse 8. And Esau, after, after Jacob, uh, I'm sorry, the father blessed Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him away. It says in verse 7 that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Padanaram to get a wife. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abram's son, the sister of Nebuchadnezzar, to be his wife. Look at what it says. This is two chapters later. And as Isaac sends Jacob off to go to Laban's household to find a wife of his father's house, he finally realizes that his choice of wife didn't please his dad. Notice it just says his father. Because to me that means he already knew mama didn't like it. But he finally realized that daddy didn't care for it either. And then he decides to make a change. But then it's too late. He's already lost his birthright. He's already lost his blessing because he disregarded his mother's opinion and the voice of his mother, never realizing that the vocal opinion of his mother was one and the same with the silent opinion of his father until it was too late. And finally he realizes, you know what? Maybe I should have listened to mom when she said, I don't like them girls. Maybe I should have listened to mom when she said, you're supposed to marry someone of your own belief system and your own family background. Maybe I should have listened to mom. I figured because I was tight with dad, it didn't matter what mom said. I could ignore her words. I could just disregard what she had to say. But in reality, part of Jacob's blessing came in realizing and understanding the importance of listening to his mother. Now we could look and say, well, his mother was a deceiver. She helped him deceive. But what you uh, must also realize is while she was carrying these twins in her womb and they were struggling with one another and she realized something crazy is going on. The Bible says she entreated the Lord and said, what is going on? And God said to her, there's two different types of people to be birthed from your womb, two nations, uh, two groups of people. And she said, the younger, or, or, I'm sorry, the elder shall serve the younger. She already knew that God's favor and blessing and plan was that the blessing would be upon the younger child. She knew how to pray. She knew how to get a hold of God. But Esau in his fleshly, physical concept and misconception about spiritual things felt like it was okay to disregard the voice of his mother and he did so at his own peril. Everybody say listen to your mother. Listen to your mother. Well, I, I got a relationship with my dad. What does mother ma matter? Esau's like, I, I, I'm connected with dad. It doesn't matter what mom thinks. She's just a lowly woman. That was his attitude in essence. But he found out just a little too late that mom knew what she was talking about. And if she had heeded his voice, things would have turned out different in his life. I read to you in Galatians chapter 4 verse 25. 
that Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the spiritual Jerusalem that is above, is our mother. Then I want to read a couple other verses to you and just wrap this up. Revelations chapter 21 and verse 2. In a spiritual sense, we must understand that there is and has to be and should be in our spiritual experience the voice of the mother that we choose to listen to rather than just assuming that our relationship with our Heavenly Father is all that matters. Revelation 21 and 2, it says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Once again, this theme. Anybody ever noticed this before? New Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, the mother of all of us believers. It says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. It's a spiritual, internal thing. And He will dwell with them and they shall be His people. And God Himself shall be with them and be their God. Verse 9 of chapter 21 of Revelation. This is toward the end of the Bible. It says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Let me show you the bride. Let me show you the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mount and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So this spiritual city, this, if you would, an invisible city in terms of our current position, is the mother of us all, and the bride of Christ, this new Jerusalem. But before you get too far ahead of me and think that, well, I guess that means heaven is our mother. In a sense, heaven is our mother. But what it is talking about, let's read another verse of Scripture here to kind of pull it all together for you. Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2 says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. This is the Apostle Paul writing to members of the body of Christ. It says, For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the members of the body of Christ, saying you are espoused to Jesus Christ. You are espoused to one husband. And so that means that we are the bride of Christ. The new Jerusalem represents the New Testament in the blood of Jesus Christ. The new Jerusalem represents the new covenant of water baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Spirit and becoming a part of the family of God and walking with Jesus Christ. So we enter into this new Jerusalem. And I know we're going to a new Jerusalem one day that we will live in, this suspended cube that will come down from the heavens. But in a spiritual sense, we join new Jerusalem when we become a part of the church of the living God, the body of Christ connected together. Amen. Connected together, praying together, worshiping together, helping one another, loving one another. We together conglomerately are the bride of Christ. Now, understand we're talking in terms of being a spouse in a spiritual sense. I heard one very misguided person say, well, same-sex marriage is okay because God wants me to marry Jesus Christ. Well, that's missing. I mean, that's, that's bizarre. The point is we together form the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And guess what? The body or the bride of Christ, the church of the living God, is the very thing that brings forth new birth experiences. The Bible says when Zion or Jerusalem travails, babies are born. And when the church, the new Jerusalem church begins to travail, revival can begin to happen and souls can be born into the kingdom of God. I want to share with you something. The Bible will read in Ephesians chapter 
chapter 5 makes it very clear that the church of the living God is the bride of Christ and is the mother of every newborn believer in Jesus Christ. While our Heavenly Father is God eternal, our Heavenly Father is Jesus Christ Himself. Amen. There is a mother in our experience. And the mother in our experience in relationship with God is the church of the living God made up of people of all shapes and sizes and ethnicities that have decided to follow Jesus, have fallen in love with Jesus. This corporate body of believers called the church or the ecclesia, which means the called out ones, the ones who decided not to be a part of this world anymore, but to be a part of something so much bigger. This church, this body is the mother in our spiritual experience. It is the mother of us all. The mother of us all. Let me read in Ephesians chapter number 5. Where the Apostle Paul is giving instructions on how a man is to treat his wife. Once again, very, very interesting in this archaic era that the Word of God is establishing respect credibility the position of a woman chapter 5 verse 22 it says wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in every way. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. Are you guys getting a picture here? Husband, wife, Christ, the church. Christ is the type of the husband. The church is the type of the wife. That he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he may present it, it being the church, to himself as a glorious church or a chaste virgin, if you would. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. They too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. New Jerusalem, the church, the body of believers, those that are on their way to heaven, those that aren't satisfied on this side, but they're going to keep believing until they make it to the other side. Amen. A group of people who aren't wrapped up in this world, but are thinking about another world. This is the mother of us all. This is the church of the living God. And I want to say today that I am thankful for the church. Amen. I'm thankful for the body of believers. And I recognize and understand the importance of being connected, the importance of being a part, the importance of being accountable and, and, and integrated and in a member into the body of Christ. Because if I'm not, I make the same mistake that Esau does in saying all that matters is if I'm right with God. And it doesn't matter whether I'm a part of a church or whether I'm connected to a body of believers. You make the same mistake Esau makes when you ignore or choose to blank out the voice of your spiritual mother and, and, uh, negate her position in your life. Let me tell you, without the church, you can't be saved. Without the church, you can't please God. Without the church, you can't make it. God designed it that way, just the way He designed a little child, that they couldn't survive without their mother being in place. Amen. I'm thankful for the church of the living God. Anybody thankful for the church? And I've heard people say it before and post it and Facebook and Twitter and so forth. That it doesn't matter about the church. It's a man-made institution. I'm sorry, it's not a man-made institution. 
Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. It's mine. I'm building it. I'm creating it, Jesus Christ says. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. They said, church is a man-made institution. It doesn't matter. Just so your relationship with God is connected. And that's kind of the spirit of the day. I don't want to be accountable. I don't want to be connected. I don't want to have anybody observing my life. I don't want to be a part of this kind of a body. I just kind of want to float in this kind of primordial relationship connection with my Heavenly Father and just kind of float through life doing whatever I want to and making sure my spiritual connections are attached. But the Bible says there is a group of people that are going to the new Jerusalem. And that new Jerusalem is the mother of us all. It is the church of the living God. And I want to tell you today that if you want to be wise, if you want to be wise, if you want to be wise, honor your father and your mother. If you want to be wise, if you want to be wise, if you want to be wise, listen to your father and to your mother. Get into a church. Get connected. Become a part of a body of Christ because that's what it's going to take to make it to the other side. Clap your hands if you believe I'm telling you the truth. Hallelujah. Come on, let's praise the Lord and thank Him for the church right now. Oh, Jesus, we thank You, Lord God, for what You've given to us, Lord God. Thank You for the blessings that we have in You, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord, I thank You, dear God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise the Lord God. Praise the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. This interesting relationship that we have with the church is it's our mother, but we, became, we become a part of it. We've been nurtured by it, but then we become part of the nurturing process for new people. Do you understand what I'm saying? As a new believer, we need our mother. And I want to encourage the church to recognize our position with new believers. We are to nurture them. We're to love them. We're to brag on them, love them, play with them, cuddle. You know what I'm saying in a sense. And not, in a, not in a literal sense. Don't take our new converts and start pinching their cheeks. But celebrate. You know, when, when the new baby comes, we're all excited about Eden. Come here, baby. I want, I want to hold you. This right here. Look at this. Let me see if I can make her smile real big. So special is it's all new. And we, we, we excitedly celebrate and we're building confidence and we're establishing something, uh, a sense of belonging and a sense of being beloved in the heart of this child. That's why they're so cute and just can't help but love them and squeeze them and take care of them. See, as the church, this is what God is telling us to do with new believers to be concerned for them. See, she's going she's gonna to make stinky messes. She, I hope not, but there's a chance she might write on furniture and on walls like her older sister. She's going to do things that will frustrate us, you understand? So in this beginning stage, there's got to be this bonding and this connection together with the mother. And, and a, a new believer that doesn't get connected into the church is in a very vulnerable, vulnerable position. Their spiritual life is vulnerable and it's very likely that it could be snuffed out unless somehow that connection happens. See, this is why we uh, emphasize and do life groups in, in life church. It's not because we don't want to come every week on Wednesday night. It's because this has got to happen right here. And if this doesn't happen, if this doesn't happen by the body of Christ, and let me tell you, your spiritual mother is not me. It's the whole church. Amen? It's the body of Christ that acts to nurture and take care. See? Hallelujah. And so every new believer needs to get pulled in to a family of God. Pulled in and close to Him. I think I'm pulling her in too close. Here she goes. Isn't she cute? 
And uh, when, when that doesn't happen, we're in a vulnerable position. So what happens is the one who was being nurtured, they become a part of the mother and nurture the new ones coming in. It becomes our responsibility. It becomes our weight on us to make sure that those that come into the body of Christ are not ignored, aren't allowed to starve, aren't allowed to get discouraged, aren't allowed to feel disconnected. Amen. Amen. Praise God. We've got to go overboard to make sure that they're a, they, they feel a part of the body of Christ. And that's not a one-person job. Amen. That, come on. Are you guys with me? That is not a one per, That becomes our mutual responsibility. Amen. To love and to care for that baby. To be as concerned about that new child as we would be concerned about our own little baby that God had just placed into our arms. As the church. The church, the mother of us all that was there praying when we came through and began to speak in other tongues. As the Spirit of God gave the utterance. The church that celebrated with us and our our new birth experience, uh, the church that was there, amen, to give us words of encouragement and the church that was there to give us words of correction as well. Amen. Amen. Words of correction that come through the body of Christ. The Bible says we are submit ourselves one to another. What does that mean? That means listen to your mother. You guys missed that? Submit yourselves one to another. That says that means listen to your spiritual mother. No, I'm just, I don't care what they say. I don't care what they think. They can do whatever they want to. They can think whatever they want to. I'll just do my own thing. Me and God, we got our own thing. Clicking, clicking, clicking. Me and God, we got a special connection. You guys are, I don't know where y'all are. Understand. Understand the word of the Lord. Submit yourselves one to another. There is a body of Christ. If you don't feel like you're connected to the body of Christ right now, you don't feel like this is the body of Christ or a part of the body of Christ, then you better hightail it and run and go find the body of Christ. But if you believe this is the body of Christ, make yourself accountable to the body of Christ and listen to your mother. Become a part of the body and realize that... God has a special relationship with the church. God loves the church. Amen? You say, well, I love God, but I don't love the church. That's like saying to me, I like you, but I hate your wife. You're going to have problems with me, okay? Understand what I'm saying? Or, or, or even funnier, you could say, hey, I like you, but your body's gross. See what I'm saying? It's connected. It's one. There's a oneness there. And the body of Christ, the church of the living God, is one with the Father. And let me tell you something else about the church. The church, like a mother in a traditional sense, is the one that's there. The one that's there. While dad's away at work during the day and come, comes home at night. Brother Steele, don't you love it when you come home at night and all, oh, how many legs come running towards you? Eight legs. Daddy's home. Daddy's home. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It is, honestly, that's one of the greatest feelings as a father. You come home. Daddy's home. Daddy's home. Daddy's home. And, and mama looks at you and just growls a little bit. And you're like, it's been one of those days, huh? I'm here just in time. Kids, why don't we go outside and play for a little bit? Amen. But she's been there the whole time. Now, as father, as the father, I have a certain way that uh, values that I want to be instilled in my children. Mutually, we've agreed upon values that we desire to see instilled in my children. But I'm not there. I'm at work. Somebody else has to take care of that for me. So there's one that's there. And one that tends to be more vocal, one that tends to be the one saying, don't touch that. Come here. Stay away from that. Stop crying in church. The mother is the one that's there and vocal. And I don't know about you, but mom's the one I used to get really frustrated with. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Your dad's just like kind of aloof and cool. He comes in and plays and tickles us at night. Mom's the one saying, get away from there. Stop that. Knock that out. Quit it. What are you doing? What are you do what are you doing? <laughs> and then the old famous uh let me use my belt for a second here. <laughs> How many times have I told you not to do that? See, I'm gonna tell you right now, I think the first rapper was probably a mother. 
that's the mother. You know what I'm saying? When dad punishes you, his problems, because like one of dad's swats is worth about seven of mom's. But mom usually does it more often than dad. Some of you are smiling. I know I'm not the only one that got spankings when I was little, together with the staccato voice of my mother. <clears throat> but I recognized as I got older that it wasn't my mom's little agenda that she was working, but that she and my dad were together. The way I found that out, yeah, was by sassing my mother in front of my dad. Anybody ever tried that one? I remember I may have told you this story before I was about 17. I was as tall as my dad now, quite a bit skinnier. But you saw the pictures there. I thought it was Elvis Presley or something. And uh, mom told me to do something. I thought she was out of control. I, was, I don't know what's wrong with you, mom. What, what's going down? And uh, so I just said, whatever, and just walked off like this. And I didn't know that my dad was on the other side of the door there and had observed it um, because I'd gotten more and more free with my mom because I was like almost twice her height. And my dad grabbed me by the shoulder and wheeled me around and grabbed me by the chest, lifted me up over his head. Yeah. And then popped me on the ground and got his knee on my chest and down in my face like this with my shirt all wrinkled up. <laughs> he got down on my face and said, you listen to me. I said, I don't have a choice. <laughs> I can tell you had coffee and eggs this morning. That's your mother. You don't ever disrespect her or talk like that ever again. You understand me? And I was like, yeah, I got the message. And that was not my dad's characteristic. He was a very calm, very patient person. But I, my attitude was getting out of control. He's like, I'm going to check that right now. And he did it. He did it because... Because his wife, my mother, was one with him. Uh huh. And it was in my best interest to listen to my mother, to not dishonor my mother. The Bible says in one, in one place in the Old Testament that if you strike your mother or father, you're, you're, you're guilty of death. You'd be put to death. That's what it says. The Old Testament. I'm like, Wow. You don't disrespect or dishonor your parents. And in a spiritual sense, if you want to have a relationship with the father, you better get connected to the mother. If you want to have a relationship with the father, you better have respect for the mother. And the mother is the body of Christ. This body of believers working together to see the kingdom of God go forward. And I'm thankful for the church. The church is made up of a lot of imperfect people. The church is made up of with, uh, people of all different nationality and different size. People with issues. People with problems. There ain't a perfect person in this church. You got that? And that includes me. There's not a perfect person in this church. But this church together is going to be presented to the Lord Jesus Christ as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And as a body of believers, as a chaste virgin presented to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be a part of the, as the old song says, it's a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. It's been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And I'm a part of the body of Christ. And I love the church. I'm telling you right now, I love the church. I love Jesus Christ. I love my heavenly Father. And I love the church of the living God. And so the moral of this message today, the moral of this message today is if you want the Father's blessings upon you, you can't have the Father's blessings apart from listening to the mother and being connected to the body of of Christ. I, I've seen example after example after example of people, maybe talented people, very nice people, people from different backgrounds that have it in their heart to do something for God or be used of God or be a, somehow pleasing to God. But they have a disaffinity for the church and they wander from congregation to congregation, never getting connected. And the problem is these wanderers never grow into what God wants them to be. Never experience the kind of favor that could be on them. Now, I'm not saying this church at this location, this one right here where you're sitting today, is the only bride of Christ. That would be foolish. 
But the church that preaches and declares the truth that doesn't have its mind on this world, but has its mind on the world on the other side and is living not for today, but living for tomorrow, living for the future, living for eternity. This is the church of the living God, the church that's founded on the principles of truth. And I'm telling you right now, you better connect yourself to the church. You better love the church. Hallelujah. You better love the body of Christ. Even the people that are unlovable. Hallelujah. I'm thankful to be in the church. I love each and every one of you. Some of you are frustrating. Some of you are wonderful. Some of you bring peace to my heart. Some of you bring stress to my heart. But every single one of you are a part of the body of Christ. And I love you. You're the body of Christ. And we submit ourselves to one another. We listen to our mother. Let's stand together right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Here's what I want us to do this beautiful Mother's Day before we leave. I'm not going to ask us to all come up to the front right now, but what I'd like you to do is if you're on the front half of this church, I want you to turn around and face the back. If you're on the sides, I want you to face towards the middle. If you're in the back, I want you to continue to face towards the front. And the reason I'm doing this is uh, not so you can get a good laugh, but uh, although that may come... But I want you to look at the body of Christ right now. This is the mother of us all. This is the mother of us all. Some of you can remember that member of the body of Christ that spoke a word of encouragement to you. Some of you may remember that member of the body of Christ that spoke words to you that may have been hard to receive and accept. But as you stood away and thought for a while, you said, you know what, that's the truth. And if they didn't tell me, I don't know if I would have heard it or not. This is the body of Christ. This is the mother of us all. And what I want us to do is I want us to just extend our hands till, till we're touching one or two members of the body of Christ right now. Until we're all essentially webbed together as one. Can we do that? Can we do that? Some of you might have to stretch across the aisle, but we're going to be uh, webbed together as one. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. In the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you just to say these words. I love you. I need you. I need you to make it. I need you in order for me to survive. I need the body of Christ. Let's begin to thank the Lord right now for the body of Christ. And let's pray for one another as members of this bride of Christ, the mother of us all. Jesus, I thank you for the church of the living God, Lord. I thank you for my physical mother, Lord Jesus. I thank you for my children's mother that you gave me, Lord God. I thank you, Jesus, and I give honor to every mother in this place today. And also, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the mother of us all, which is New Jerusalem, the church. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God, for my brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because they make me better, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus, that we can pray for one another, Lord God, that we can encourage one another, that we can love one another, that we can help meet one another needs. I thank you for this church, Lord God, that is not wrapped up in this world, but is thinking about, Lord Jesus, a world that is to come, Lord God, New Jerusalem. Hallelujah, Lord God. We're just, uh, not, this world is not our home, but Jesus, we're passing through. We're on a journey to the other side. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters, Lord. I thank you that I heard your word and become a part of the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, the church of the living God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I thank Thank you, Lord God, for my spiritual mother, Jesus. I thank you for the body of Christ, my brothers and sisters. And I pray for them right now that you would encourage them and lift them up and give strength and hope to them. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just praise the Lord Jesus right now with me. Lord, I love you. Jesus, I worship and adore you, Lord God. I thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. 
name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that for the intuition through the Spirit that you've given to the church, Lord God, the sensitivity to the Holy Ghost that you've given to brothers and sisters to encourage and give hope, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. I give praise and worship to you, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. I want you to, uh, as we're dismissed at this time, uh, for a wonderful day, to a wonderful day. Remember, we've got service here Wednesday night. We're going to have a great time in the presence of the Lord. 7 o'clock prayer, 7.30 for our worship service, Bible study. And then this coming Sunday, bring somebody out to the house of the Lord for Brother Bustard. Before you leave, I want you to find at least two people. And I want you to say these words to them. I want you to say, preferably not just your family, but find somebody else that's part of your spiritual family. And say, I love you with the love of the Lord. I love you with the love of the Lord. Also remember the reception Saturday, 2 o'clock. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.